Hello there, good people. Welcome back to What's True for Everybody. This is Experience 13, and it's called You Have a Place in the Genealogy. That's right. We're talking about genealogies, and aren't you glad you pressed play on this <laughs> podcast episode? Uh, a little boil health update in case you care. Last time I mentioned that our son Parker uh, was sick and down for the count. He is now better and back to his regular self, but a few days ago, my daughter and I got it within about 12 hours of each other, so we've been couch buddies for the last few days. Uh, we are both now in recovery mode, and my kids are now uh, watching a movie together that you may or may not be able to hear, and so if you hear them uh, wrestling or <laughs> fighting or arguing, uh, that's them. And thank the Lord, my wife, Corey, has not gotten this illness yet because if mama goes down we're all in trouble and I will need the red cross here in short order so I'll keep you updated on that but here we go uh, you have a place in the genealogy and this episode this experience comes from uh, a regular listener to this podcast they recently asked me what's the point of the genealogies in the bible which is an excellent question so I thought we should talk about it uh, but in order to talk about that, we first have to talk about what happened on the campus of a university in Maryland. So a week or so before Valentine's Day, so this is early February, a mom went on the campus and started walking around Towson University, good old Towson, where her son attends school, and she tried to get him a date. So she starts showing poor, unsuspecting girls a picture of him on her cell phone and asking these girls if they'd go out with him. And uh, apparently she was getting quite aggressive because a couple of people called campus security on this woman. And so the police uh, had to do an investigation and investigate the situation. And they actually sent out an advisory to the student body, letting them know that this lady was walking around looking for a date for her son. I love it. Uh, any moms out there who are listening who have ever done something like this, if you have, please let us all know because this is fantastic. And if you're the son, what are you thinking? I doubt this 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old is like, hey, mom, keep me updated on how this is going. Uh, and for the rest of us, we think, um, lady, why are you doing this? Like If you want your son to have a date, this is probably the worst way <laughs> to go about it. This is not helping your son get a date. It's actually dramatically decreasing the odds of him ever getting a date. Bottom line, lady, this isn't helping. And here's why I tell this story. Well, number one, because it's great. Number two, have you ever come across a genealogy in the Bible? Like you're humming through the Bible. You're like, yeah, this is good stuff. Then you get to a genealogy and you're like, uh, what's the point of this? How in the world is reading name after name after name, names, by the way, that I can't even come close to pronouncing. How is this helping me understand or get excited about reading the Bible? In fact, it may actually be doing the opposite. This kind of makes me not want to read the Bible. Why do I care about who begot who all those years ago? So oftentimes we get to these genealogies and we actually skip them, right? We just 
pass them out where we pretend to read them. We're like, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. And then we just skip to the next thing. Why the heck would these be included in the Bible? So we'll start with some observations about genealogies in the Old Testament, which you're all dying to know about. Then we'll look at two genealogies in the New Testament, both of which are genealogies of Jesus, but written by two different gospel writers. Uh, then we'll close with your place in all of this. And so during this experience, I'm going to read uh, a bunch of names and I'm going to mispronounce a bunch of names. I've gone over these names, but I will for sure mispronounce some of them in the moment. So this is the only time I will apologize about that. Otherwise, I'm just going to plow through them. Uh, so here we go. Start with the Old Testament. In Old Testament times or in the ancient Near East, uh, people, you would record gene a genealogy to show others that you were legit. Genealogies were made to establish just how powerful or royal or important or great you and your family or your tribe or your clan was. You know what genealogies were? Genealogies, they were like ancient bragging. That's why you would record these things. It's like, look how much we matter. Look where we come from. Look who's on our list. Look how we're the best. But then a tribe of God followers comes along. And it starts with this dude named Abraham, who was a regular, ordinary guy, but we're told he had faith. And with Abraham, God starts a new kind of people, a people who believed there was one true God instead of the common thought that each region or tribe had its own God, a people who believed that this God loved and wanted the best for everybody, a people who believed that this God could actually do something to heal this fractured and broken world, a people who believed that this God wanted his people to live for the benefit of everybody else. This tribe existed to bless the other tribes, which wasn't how tribes worked. You looked out for your own, but this tribe was to bless the other tribes. And so God's desire for this group of people was that power and royalty and importance and greatness would mean something different, which means the point of something like a genealogy would be different. And this people grew and they expanded and they multiplied. And what's one way you do that? You have kids. And how do you communicate and celebrate this growing and this expanding and this multiplying and this having kids? You record it. You keep record of it. Instead of taking pictures of, of it on your the family on your iPhone or your kids on your iPhone, you record it. You keep record of it. Uh, so you get to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth of a, is a book in the Old Testament. And very nice book. And you get to the very end of Ruth chapter 4. Here, here's the very end of the book of Ruth. It says this. The last words of the book of Ruth. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. <laughs> and that's it. The book is done. And you get to the end of it, and you're like, uh, Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that book of Ruth. What, what am I supposed to do with that ending? But at least that's fairly succinct. Uh, you then get to first Chronicles in the Old Testament. 
First Chronicles has kind of the same genealogy in it, uh, only it goes way further. So in First Chronicles, the first nine chapters of the book of Chronicles are genealogies, uh, including the one I just read from the book of Ruth, only it takes this author about four times longer to get from Perez to David than it did the author of Ruth. So that gene- that particular genealogy is in chapter two, and then it keeps going for like seven more chapters, these genealogies. So for instance, uh, chapter three, verses 10 to 16, there's a genealogy, and here it is. This is First Chronicles chapter three, verse 10. Uh, Solomon's son was Rehoboam, Abijah, I, I messed that one up, um, Abijah, I think is the name, Abijah is his son, Asa, his son, Jehoshaphat, his son, Je- Jehor- Jehoram, his son, Ahaziah, his son, Joash, his son, Amaziah, his son, Azariah, his son, Jotham, his son, Ahaz, his son, Hezekiah, his son, Manasseh, his son, Amon, his son, Josiah, his son, the sons of Josiah, Jehonan, the firstborn, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, excuse me, the second son, Zedekiah, the third, Shalom, the fourth. The successors of Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, his son, and Zedekiah. So in case you were wondering, Jehoiachin is the son of Jehoiakim, because why not? And so that's 1 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 10 to 16. Now, I bet you start reading this list and you're probably thinking, yeah, baby, <laughs> I've always wanted to know where Abijah and Asa and Ahaz came from. Sweet. Nope, probably not. You're probably like, uh, please end this, First Chronicles. <laughs> Wrap it up here. Who cares? Why are there nine chapters in a row of these genealogies? Uh, here's who cared. The people who were first hearing or reading this. They cared a bunch. Here's why. A couple thoughts. Number one, genealogies were proof that the story of God is going somewhere. They were proof that the story is going somewhere. They were evidence that God was up to something and he didn't just start today. And he didn't just start yesterday. Genealogies were encouragement that if God has been up to something this long, then he'll probably continue for a long time. For the so for the original audience, uh, the longer the genealogy, actually, the better. The longer it is, the more excited and inspired you'd get. Why? Because the story of God is going somewhere. It didn't just start yesterday. It started quite some time ago, and it's not going to end today. It's going to keep going for quite some time. It's alive. It's moving. It's breathing. It's dynamic. So they're proof that the story is going somewhere. Number two. The people in these really, really long lists of family lines weren't anything special. When you go through these lists, these people, they were nobodies. They were regular Joes. Uh, They didn't have millions of dollars or record deals or Academy Awards or stars on the Walk of Fame. I mean, even the very few people you recognize in these lists, they were normal, everyday people who said yes to God. So a genealogy then was a way of remembering or thanking God for people who came before you, of seeing the movement God was up to and God was doing, and of 
being reminded that you too had a part to play in all this. It was a hope that even average, normal people mattered and could make a difference. And that would include you. See, genealogies in the Bible, the people of God, they're different because they weren't, they're not about ancient bragging. They're about ancient faithfulness. And that is a lot more interesting, isn't it? Now, uh, let's go to the New Testament and see what Matthew and Luke each do with the genealogy of Jesus. And let's start uh, with Matthew. And I'm going to read here verses 1 to 16 in the beginning of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And here come a bunch of names. Some of them I won't pronounce correctly. Some of them I won't. Okay, here we go. Verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So the point of this is Jesus the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Interesting that that gets connected to Jesus the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, so so Jesus is, is the main character. You have the son of David here, and you have Abraham also in the title. Here we go. Uh, you then have like three different lists of names. So, so here's the first. Abraham was the father of Isaac. So, so Matthew starts all the way back with Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of... Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, by the way, these were some of the same names, if you remember, from Ruth that were also told in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, which we didn't read. Uh, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Some interesting characters in here we'll get to. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. So that's kind of the first list there, from Abraham to King David. Now, here you go. Next list. David was the father of Solomon. Uh, Actually, same list, but just broken up a bit. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Interesting. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jokaniah. Jokaniah, I think that is. And his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Then you have a bit of a break. Here we go for the, the third part of the list. After the exile to Babylon, Jokaniah was the father of Shealt- Shealtiel. <laughs> we'll go with Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Z- Zer- <laughs> Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. El- Eliakim, I think. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of... Zadok, 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 the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Matthew starts with Abraham, he ends 
with Jesus, the Messiah. That's verse 16, the end. We'll get to verse 17 here in a moment or two because that's interesting. So Matthew starts with verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Okay, it's really easy to read this for the first time and think, wait, what? Jesus was the son of David? I thought Jesus was the son of a dude named Joseph. At least that's what they tell me when I go to church on Christmas Eve, right? There was Mary and Joseph, and they had a bit of a misunderstanding about the whole pregnancy thing and how it happened, and they were Jesus' parents, right? Uh, Okay, right. But a good question to ask here is, who is Matthew writing to? Who is his audience? Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience, by the way, who is waiting for the Messiah to come save them. And who believed that the, that the Messiah would come from the family line of David. Or who would be the son of David. Uh, because back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, Old Testament, God says to David, uh, through a dude named Nathan, God says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom forever. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So it's God telling David, hey, someone from your family line is going to be the Messiah. And so the thought was, okay. So, so refer to son of David is going to be the Messiah. So when Matthew starts his gospel by saying to this Jewish audience that Jesus is the son of David, he is making a big time statement to his audience about who he believes Jesus is. We'll come back uh, to David because it gets better. So Matthew then starts this long laundry list of names that he puts into three groups, as we pointed out. And these three groupings, um, they point out crucial turning points in the history of the people of God. So the first part of the list, it went from Abraham to David. Second part, from David to the exile to Babylon. And then the third part, from the exile to the Messiah. This is very, very intentional. And we'll come back to the groups because it gets better. And then Matthew, to the surprise of about everyone, also puts women in the genealogy. Uh, Four of them, if you don't include Mary at the end, the mother of Jesus. With her, it's five, but previously, before her, it's four. Um, You didn't do that in any respectable genealogy at the time. You didn't put women in there. And he doesn't just put women in there, but we think these are all Gentile women. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience, and not just Gentile women, but Gentile women who have stories, <laughs> who each have a bit of a, qu- qu- well, at least most of them have a questionable past. I mean, Tamar had an unfortunate, incestuous situation going on with her father-in-law. Rahab, another woman listed, was a prostitute. Ruth, uh, we got to the end of Ruth with that first genealogy re-led, reread. Um, she actually seems like she was on the up and up. You can read up on her in her book in the Old Testament. And then you have Uriah's wife, as Matthew calls her, who is Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the one who had the affair with, you guessed it, David in the Old Testament. Which raises the question, why would the Messiah come from this guy's family line? I mean, this whole thing is bizarre. But perhaps Matthew is making another point. 
if, if God can work in these bizarre ways, if God can work through these women who weren't seen as equal, by the way, and if God can work through these people who made these kinds of decisions, watch what he's about to do now. <laughs> Look who he's going to work through now. It may even be you. This genealogy for Matthew, it's, it's about the fulfillment of God's promises from the past, which includes promises to Abraham and David, who were listed in the, in the intro of this whole thing, who play big roles in this genealogy. Uh, so it's about the promises of the past, and it's about God doing something very new and different starting now. And you might be surprised at who gets to be a part of it. Now, for my favorite part, uh, back to David and back to the three groups of names here. And to talk about that, we have to talk about numbers. And what we have to understand is numbers were very, very important to the Hebrew people. Uh, so much so that, that words and names actually had numerical values. And here's how they did it. Uh, take my name, Matt, M-A-T-T. Uh, in English... M is the 13th letter of the alphabet. You don't have to try counting on your fingers as you <laughs> try to sing through the, the alphabet. You can just trust me on this. It's the 13th letter. A is the first <laughs> letter. Hopefully, you don't have to sing through the alphabet to get that. Uh, and then T is the 20th letter. So if you add M plus A plus T plus T, 13 plus 1 plus 20 plus 20, the numerical number value of my name would be 54. Now... Let's take David's name, which is a Hebrew name. And remember, Matthew's audience believed that the Messiah would come from the family line of David, which is why Matthew begins by saying Jesus the Messiah is the son of David. Okay, and by the way, you didn't use vowels in Hebrew. So you take David's name. You have D, V, D, without the vowels. D is the fourth letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and V is the sixth letter. So you would add DVD, 4 plus 6 plus 4. I'll give you a couple seconds to, to add this up. 4 plus 6 plus 4. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you got it. 14. The numerical value of David's name is 14. Okay? Now, let's go back to verse 17. We stopped at verse 16. Let's go back to verse 17 and see what Matthew says. This is how he wraps up the genealogy. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, which was the first group of names, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, which was the second group of names, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah, which is the third group of names. What? is Matthew hammering home here? I mean, he's coming at this from all angles. Because not only would everyone in Matthew's original audience believe the Messiah would be the son of David, but they also would have known the numerical value of David's name was 14. And Matthew has just given them three lists of 14. What is he saying over and over and over to his audience? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's saying, I believe this is the one you've been waiting for. And then Matthew spends the rest of his gospel telling them why he believes this. 
And the audience would have picked up on this right away. Okay, I want a few more fun insights that have to do with numbers in this genealogy. Good, me too. First, David is the 14th name listed in the genealogy. Don't tell me Matthew isn't brilliant. I mean, I bet he had a lot of fun writing this list and coming up with how he's going to write these names down. Second, uh, 14 is also two sevens for you math majors. 14 is also two sevens. And as we've mentioned before, seven is a really important number in the Bible. It signifies fullness. It signifies perfection. Um, and in the Old Testament law, it said, it said that in order to establish the truth of something, like in court, you needed two witnesses. You needed two witnesses. And so here you have, uh, you have two sevens, two sevens, two sevens. And so six, it's like three different times you have two witnesses. And so some say it's like all these names in the genealogy are acting as witnesses to Jesus being the Messiah. How great is that? I hope this excites you as much as it does me. Um, By the way, back then, even when Jesus came around in the first century, the testimony of women wasn't valid in court. And so zero of these two witnesses could be women, which makes it even more awesome that Matthew includes women in this genealogy. Girl power. Uh, I feel like we need some Spice Girls right now, but we'll move on. One more. Third. We just mentioned the importance of the number seven in the Bible and how you can divide this list into six sevens, uh, which means the name of Jesus at the end of this list begins the seventh seven. (laughs) Whoa, that might take a while to sink in a little bit. The name of Jesus at the end of this list begins the seventh seven. That's big time. I bet the original audience, when they heard or when they read this, was jumping around high-fiving each other because of the brilliance and just the fantasticness of all this. And by the way, this is just the first page of the New Testament. (laughs) Okay, let's look briefly at Luke's genealogy. And I'm not going to read it to save some time. You you can uh, read it, uh, but here we go. Again, a good question to ask here is, who's the audience? Who's Luke writing to? Uh, Luke's audience here isn't a Jewish one, like Matthew was writing to. Luke's audience was, was much broader than that. What Luke is trying to do is to show that Jesus is the source of salvation for everybody, for all humanity. Uh, so, by the way, Luke's the dude who writes the book of Acts, where the gospel is taken to people who aren't Jewish or people known as Gentiles. And so things like using numerical values or losing, using terms like the son of David, that, that didn't matter to Luke. That wouldn't have really helped him in his gospel and his genealogy. What mattered to Luke was that Jesus is for everybody, which is why in his gospel he tells story after story of, of Jesus being found among the poor and among those on the edges or the outside and among those who others didn't expect Jesus would come to save. This is why Luke tells stories like the prodigal son coming home and the parable of the good Samaritan, which by the way is actually uh, about confronting your own prejudices. And it asks, who do you think is on the outside looking in? And it suggests you better deal with that assumption. Uh, but that's another story. Maybe we'll do an episode experience on that sometime. Uh, 
So that's the audience. Pretty much everybody Luke can get to listen. It's not just the Jewish audience. Second thing to look at here is the placement of this genealogy in Luke's gospel. Luke doesn't place the genealogy at the very beginning like Matthew does. It's, it's not his intro. Instead, he places it in between the two events of Jesus being baptized and Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. So the genealogy in Luke comes right after Jesus being baptized and right before Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Two stories, by the way, where, Jesus, where the issue is Jesus being the Son of God or the Messiah. Okay, so he, he places the genealogy just before the start of Jesus' public ministry, which highlights Jesus' concern for, for all human beings. Uh, he, Luke's telling his audience, hey, this is the guy, and he's for everybody, and, and watch what he does now. And then he goes off and tells all of these stories. Third, third thing to look at here is how Luke lists the names. Matthew starts uh, at the, with the oldest generation, at the beginning with Abraham, and, and goes down to Jesus. Uh, Luke doesn't do that. Luke doesn't start at the beginning with the oldest generation in the family and move forward, uh, and like genealogies normally would. Luke starts at the end with the youngest generation, with the newest generation, and he moves backwards. And Luke doesn't stop with Abraham like Matthew does. Luke takes the genealogy all the way back to Adam, or as Luke, to quote Luke, Adam, the son of God. That's how he ends the genealogy. He takes it all the way back to the beginning. He takes it back to the first human being as far back as you could possibly go. And number one, Nearly all commentators will say that the reference to Adam here at the end connects Jesus to creation and to all of humanity. And number two, let's point out, this puts Adam's name at the end of the genealogy right next to Jesus' temptation story. Interesting. Do you remember Adam's temptation story? The end of the list of names begs the question, will Jesus make a different choice than Adam and Eve did? I mean, let's see if he really is the son of God. And by the way, Luke takes the genealogy not through the line of Jesus' father, but through the line of Jesus' mother, which was also unusual because that's, that's not how you did it. Luke includes everyone going all the way back to the beginning of creation and including people others wouldn't think to include in a genealogy. Why? Because this serves the point of his gospel. Come on, do you love genealogies yet? Do you see how smart and clever both of these writers are in their lists of Jesus' family line? I mean, if, and if you're looking, it's important to say this, if you're looking for an exhaustive or chronologically exact record of Jesus' family tree in these lists, you're going to be disappointed because that's not what it's meant to be. These authors aren't going for literal truth and accuracy. They're making profound theological points about who Jesus is and why he's come. And our job is to sit back and read it and enjoy it. And maybe you're thinking this, maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's great. 
that the original audience would have understood all this and gotten a kick out of it. But it doesn't exactly have the same punch for me in 2019. Uh, First, that's true. Good point. But second, maybe it's enough for right now to come to a genealogy and know that these lists of names served a point and were really helpful and exciting and inspiring and intelligent. And maybe our prayer could be to give thanks for these names and to ask us and, and to ask God to, to inspire us in the same way or in some really meaningful way. And third, and perhaps most important, maybe these long, seemingly boring lists could be a way to remind you and me that we have a place in the genealogy. You have a place in the genealogy. Have you ever looked at your family line and learned about your parents, your grandparents, or great-grandparents, or great-great-grandparents who came before you? I mean, have you ever looked at pictures and seen parts of yourself in them? Have you ever heard stories about them and their interests and what they were good at and thought, oh, I get that from them? Did your parents give you your middle name because it was a family name of a relative you have never met and you feel like that somehow connects you to the people who came before you and all of a sudden your middle name has new significance that you're proud of? Genealogies have a way of connecting us, of making us proud, of, of realizing that we get to be a part of carrying on the tradition, of even bringing a sense of responsibility that we are to be an active, faithful member of this group. You have a place in the genealogy. God has a long, long history of including and using and moving his world forward through regular, ordinary people like you and me. You are connected to the people of God who came before you, and you will be connected to the people of God who come after you. You get to carry on the responsibility and tradition of generations past, and future generations will carry on your responsibility and tradition. And my encouragement to you is to rightfully take your place in the genealogy, to believe that you are loved and included even when people tell you that you aren't, to live every day like you have this massive opportunity and even responsibility to bring peace and kindness to earth as it is in heaven to have joy because God made you and you are good. You, my friends, have a place in the genealogy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Peace.